Welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I'm joined, as always, by the wonderful Lee. Hello. And we have got a... We're delving into a new filmmaker in the collection today. A new, yes. He said he's had other films, but... Uh, he's got one. Collection. I think he's got one more film in the collection, but this is the first Gus Van Sant film we're going to be mm. tackling. Yeah. But uh, before we dive into the film, like, hey, how are you going? How's your week been? Ah, <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, no, really good. Happy that we're not in lockdown. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, we're, we're going along nicely here. Yeah. So. Sorry for people in the rest of the world, but I'm sure we'll be <laughs> there come winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll be back at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plenty of time to sit around with friends and watch movies, I guess. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, uh, the river. Yeah. The river. L- last yes. week's last our uh, last episode. Uh, bit of a fun reaction with that one. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think I said in the episode that it was probably the first film I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm. Yeah. Because, yeah, you're, you're nearly 20 movies in at this point now. Whoa. Yeah. I was wondering that. It doesn't feel that like it, really. No. You know how uh, we do, like, the look back after every 10? Yeah, we're getting close to another look back already, so... I have to do my <laughs> research and memory. <laughs> oh, it's the fully thing of, like, you have to go through the list and be like, what fucking movies did yeah. we watch again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it was good to hear. We got some nice response from the episode as well. Um, uh, good old uh, regular listener, Captain Internationalist. Uh, he said it was a first time viewing for him watching The River. He was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't big on the uh, colonial colonialization shtick. So it didn't kind of yeah. lean into the whitewashing and the whole yeah. focusing thing, which I think was kind of our big th- takeaway with it Definitely. as well. Definitely, yeah. And I suppose the, the way it opens, you, you kind of... Like, well, what do we say which... Um, it's like, uh, what's the movie we said it was like? Uh, Little Women. Yeah. And we're like, oh, here we go. It's just going to like whitewash across yeah. everything and it's going to be a full thing about like appropriating the culture. But it's like, no, 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 it, it embraces the culture. It's a white story, but set in that yeah. culture. It was really great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and he said it, it, that the film actually showed respect for the Indian people and culture, which we yeah. totally agree with. And that's yeah. kind of what made it really connect with us. Mm. But interestingly, he said uh, he can't wait for some of the films that he, we have coming up. That two of them he really likes, and one he thinks is super overrated. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think what uh, my guess. I've got a guess on what the ones I so think. So he hasn't said what they. No, are. no. Ah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and possibly guess are, are two of them in a box set coming up possibly. Oh. That's um. That's maybe. That's interesting because I don't know which film. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up at all? I'm week to week here. I'm like, what are we watching? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> and I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I, I, is the overrated one my own private Idaho? Ooh. Possibly. L- let us know. I'm very intrigued. Overrated. Okay. Yeah. But, um, and then we also got an email from a, a listener that we've actually met. Uh, Keelan actually sent us an email. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to hear from him again. Um, yeah, he's been kind of watching the films as we go through and catching up, and uh, he also agrees that uh, Goddard is a pretentious piece of shit and he can't stand him. <laughs> so. I can't tell you how happy that makes me feel, because coming into this, I know I said it before, but I'm like, I feel like I'm not allowed to poo-poo on Criterion films. Like, they're in the Criterion collection. They're obviously good. And I just, that one for me was just like, what am I watching? Yeah. What is this? And then... 
you know, I didn't know about anybody else's reaction, so I'm trying to do the podcast going, okay, okay, this is, yep, this is art, yeah, this is real arty. Mm-hmm, I've, I've got to pretend mm-hmm. that I actually yeah, like this. okay, cool, <laughs> yeah, I understand what's going on. <laughs> so yeah. it's nice to hear when other people are like, yeah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> exactly, I know, no. and it's lovely to hear from all the listeners and things, so yeah, just keep the emails coming, everybody. We love hearing from you and getting your takes on the films as well, so mm. thank you. So I guess with that, should we dive into this week's film, Gus Van Sant's 1991 almost masterpiece? I think in his, I, I would call it his masterpiece in his body of work, uh, My Own Private Idaho. Yes, and I don't know if we should delve in now. Actually, we won't. Let's do the synopsis and then I'll get into it. Sure thing. This one, I love when I actually have the physical film that I don't have to look on the website to read the synopsis. Yeah. Uh, although this text is very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves star in Gus Van Sant's haunting tale of two young street hustlers. Mike Waters, a sensitive narcoleptic who dreams of the mother who abandoned him, and Scott Favor, the wayward son of the mayor of Portland and the object of Mike's desire. Navigating a volatile world of junkies, thieves, and Johns, Mike takes Scott on a quest from the grungy streets to the open highways of the Pacific Northwest in search of the elusive place called home. Oh, do you know that really cleared a few things up for me? <laughs> okay, go, go, do tell, like, in okay. what regard. No, I, I, just, I just wondered what our motivation was and what we were doing and where we were going and yep. why we were going. And, yeah, just when you said that last bit, a quest to find home. Yes. I'm like... I get it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's essentially like a totally new imagining and a new breed of the road movie, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's very much a road movie, but it's. Um, I was watching some of the features on the DVD, and um, there's a wonderful little thing dissecting all of that, and they really perfectly sum it up where traditionally road movies, like even dating back to like, you know, the Hope and Crosby ones of the 40s, like, uh, you know, the road to Rio Grande, like, you know, the road to Las Vegas, the the old-timey musicals, Um, even up through like the early 80s, the road movie was always, it always had a positive ending. It was always, they gained something at the end, whether it was like self-enlightenment, self-reflection, they grew as a person, or they achieved their goal they got to their destination yeah but then in the late 80s and then into the 90s then kind of new wave the gen gen x filmmakers coming up it was a slew of films where road movies where it's like no it's not like no nothing yeah like it is just life yeah it's like it's like a snapshot yeah and it's just like it's it's, it's in life you don't instantly find like your in your your gratification you don't yes. you don't get you know, the road travelled and you're like, oh, this was all perfect and I'm a better person now. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how that shit works. Yeah, and I like that about this film. Mm. It's dark. Yeah. Surprisingly so. It's very free-spirited, but Mm. very dark. (laughs) I can tell that this is... What what number film is this on Gus Van Sant's lips? This is his third film that he made. Um, He made... I'm just going to quickly get up his... Uh, filmography, so I have the actual years correct. But his first movie was, uh, it's called Mala Noche, and it's a black and white little independent film that he made, um, sort of self self finance and things, and that, after doing a couple of shorts, that's 1986. Good year. Uh, yeah, good year. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, uh, he breaks onto the scene three years later in 89 with Drugstore Cowboy. <gasps> Oh, 
think I've seen that one. Okay. I fucking love Drugstore Cowboy. Yes. Oh, I can so tell that that... So before we started watching this film, I have to ha- um, have to say, like, I don't know Gus Van Sant films. And I knew, like, I saved it for the podcast. And I knew we'd go through it and you'd tell me. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. But he's never a director that I'm like, ooh, Gus Van Sant, you know. Yeah. I don't know his work. Very much. Like, the thing is, I'm going to rattle off a couple of films. And you've definitely seen a bunch of these. But he's such an interesting director. Because, like you said, you don't know his films. He doesn't have a distinct style necessarily that mm. screams out you are watching a Gus Van Sant film yeah. like you know unlike you know say a David Fincher or Wes Anderson yes. or like a Fellini or any of those yes. like you're just like oh I know instantly I'm watching one of their movies yeah and he jumps from genre and like you know weird little independent films about street hustlers to big budget studio movies like it's all over the map and yeah. Can it, you give me a few? Yeah, for sure. So after this, he then does uh, a bunch of music videos and things. But then he has his first like real big bomb with uh, even Cowgirls Get the Blues with Uma Thurman. And she has like okay. giant thumbs for hitchhiking. Not a great movie. Okay, I don't uh, know that one. But then he has a bit of a comeback in 1995 with To Die For with Nicole Kidman. Oh. Where she plays like the weather up and coming like weather reporter who gets junky like high school Joaquin Phoenix and, yeah. and Casey Affleck to murder her husband yes yeah I haven't seen it but I know like I've seen bits of it mm. so that's like his thing like he's worked with River and now Joaquin and then continuing on the Casey Affleck trend uh, two years later he makes Goodwill Hunting oh mm-hmm. see what I mean like how it is like what the fuck like yeah. trajectory as a filmmaker and then after Goodwill Hunting is the weirdest thing ever. Mm-hmm. He remakes Psycho shot for shot. I remember that yeah. film. What the fuck was that? <laughs> like, it's the weirdest thing ever. How, what were your thoughts on that? It is, I, it, it's so masturbatory and weird. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's, and I get why, like, the overall meta statement of what he's doing, how he's just, like, Hollywood films are just recycled. Like, mm. it, it, like the, the, his intention behind the making that movie is way more interesting than the movie itself. Yeah. Like, and it just gets muddied and lost. I don't know, like... Like, make a video essay, dude. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't, yeah. don't spend, like, $50 million. Do a documentary, and, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, I always think with remakes or anything like that, if you're going to redo something, do it different. Yeah. It's like, I always say this about songs. There's so many good... Um, versions like like a version from Triple J of songs mm. but if you're going to do it exactly the same then what's the point but I like when people take a song and then change the genre yeah so ugh, there's so many but like uh, I know there's one uh, a Nirvana song and then there's a there's like a folk version of it or yep. like you know just you change you do something new with it you take the original but you don't just <laughs> shot for shot redo it you you yeah. make something new with it yeah that, that's like you know uh, the cl- the remakes that everyone goes to that work because they completely reinvent it things like The Thing like John mm-hmm. Carpenter's The Thing uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly it's like let's take something that kind of worked and then just completely reinvent it and just take that, that one kernel of an idea and build something new out of it because you're not doing something to say oh well, this will be better you're just no. saying I'm you know I'm gonna leave that because that was great yeah that can still be a thing i'm gonna do something different with it but i'm not replacing it 
Yeah, but I don't think Gus Van Sant's intent with Psycho was to make something better or to replace it. I think it's like this giant meta-examination on the state of Hollywood, mm. where he's like making it to show how stupid remakes are. Yeah. By making the most pointless stupid remake and showing how Hollywood films are just recycled garbage. So let's just give them literally recycled garbage. I wish they would, like, watch that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it's the thing of, like, it's such a dumb... Like, the, the delivery method of it got so lost in mm. what he was... What it was that it... And, I, I mean, th- that's just my take on it, but, yeah. Mm. But, um, yeah, then he kind of goes on and does go back to, like, little independent films, like Elephant, about the school shooting. I, uh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Uh, Last Days, which was kind of about Kurt Cobain a little bit. But it, they... Did, what, did they change the name? Yeah, like yeah, that? and it's yeah. Michael Pitt in that film. But then he slowly goes on and does some stuff like Milk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he kind of dabbles in and out of independent films and, you know, these, you know, politically interesting ones or So he's budgets. definitely not a director for hire. He's choosing his journey. Yeah. He's choosing his stories to oh, tell. Oh, very, very much so, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a weird and interesting career and he's a filmmaker that yeah if you take that step that i think that's why we're spending so much time at the beginning mm. discussing him because if you take a step back and look at his body of work you're like this i, I see no theme to this mm. so that just makes it really interesting yeah kind of like a mike nichols to some degree like you know goes from like who's afraid of virginia wolf to the graduate to yeah. you know just weird comedies as well like yeah i wonder like i'm just trying to think of people who you would you could say tarantino you know you 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 go to the cinemas to see the director you go yeah. to like um scorsese but maybe he's in a way taking a step back and going i'm actually just going to tell a story and it's yeah. it's more that i don't it's not my film it's a film it's a story i'm telling yeah and i'm i'm going to adapt and change how i work as a filmmaker depending on the source material that i'm working with mm. like i'm not going to have like weird freeze-frame sex tableaus in Goodwill Hunting. Like, that just doesn't <laughs> work for this. Yes, no. Uh, although it would be great to see them in Finding Forrester. Do you remember that movie? No. Where it's like the underprivileged black kid and Sean Connery as a recluse writer is just like, I'll be your tutor. No. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> the worst. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> Do you not know you're the man now, dog? It's the no. best. Yes! <laughs> You're the man now, dog. I have to watch that. Yeah, no, just watch that one scene to see Sean Connery be hip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so that's why I, th- I think I consider this, like, at the beginning I said, I think it's kind of his masterpiece. Mm. Like, I think his most enjoyable film, I really like Goodwill Hunting. Just, it's a, yeah. it's a good movie to just put on. And it's yeah. an easy film to watch. But Still deep. Still deep, but, and yeah, Milk as well is a great, mm. great movie. Uh, Elephant as well, it's a tough movie to watch. But it is. Um, but this, I think, because it's the film, when I think of a Gus Van Sant film, I think of the style and the technique that goes into making this. Yeah. And it's something that is not that present in the rest of his stuff. And it, it really, to me, feels like he's thrown his heart and soul into this mm. movie. Um, I reckon you can tell when directors, like, are just, like, they like get that big budget. And yeah. they're like, I'm going to fucking shoot the shit out of this. Yeah. That's what this feels like. Well, interesting, I looked it up, $2.5 million. That's how much okay. this was. So it was real low budget, like, indie yeah. film still. And I found this super interesting. Um, when he finally got the money to make it and things, he was like, you know what, I'm going to go, like, to help me get the money, like, if this meager budget, because it's a real, con- like, at the time, controversial subject matter mm. and things. 
So he's like, uh, okay, I'll go for Keanu and River Phoenix. And he sent the script to their agents. And Keanu's agent was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, interesting. I'll pass it on to Keanu. River's agent was just like, get, get the fuck out of here. Like, fuck off. Like, mm. no, like not interested. And then Keanu loved it and ended up, he was like, I, I'll talk to River. And over the Christmas holiday, rode his motorbike from his house in Canada all the way down to River's house in Florida to give him the script personally. <laughs> to be like, hey. But, like, he, he was friends. Like, he just acted with Joaquin in um, uh, Parenthood and things. Parenthood, and yeah. was friends with um, uh, River's girlfriend at the time and things. So it was like, hey, everybody, I'm, I'm showing up for Christmas. And here's a script. <laughs> Fuck. But it's That's ri- amazing. Mm. I wouldn't think that about Keanu Reeves. I don't know. I just put him in a... I put him in a... <laughs> In a certain box, and it was weird to see him in a film like this. Very much so, and yeah. it's and it's one where he, as an actor in this one in particular, he vacillates really strongly from, "Wow, you're really good in this," to, uh, "Are you actually a bad actor?" Like that's that I think is a problem with Keanu a lot of the time. You, he gets pigeonholed as the whoa yeah. guy, and it, it's hard to tell sometimes. Like, are you actually really good or really? Not and we've had this discussion before. The idea of are you a good actor or are you a charismatic person? Yeah, <laughs> and I think in this film he's doing stuff that is so interesting. Uh, in like the stuff where I'm like, are you bad? Yeah, it, it, it made me like it's the scenes like when he is talking with Bob in the alleyway and it's like the very Shakespearean heightened language. And he's like, I am the son of blah blah blah, mm. and you're like. Oh, the line deliveries are really kind of awkward. And then you're like, oh, wait, you as Scott are playing a character and a role within this. Holy shit, this is actually really layered and deep. And oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I think we need to begin at the beginning of the film. 100%. Let's do it. (laughs) So we open with Mike and he's on a road and... I've got to say, you've got to jump in and help me with all the symbolism and all this. This is my first time mm-hmm. watching this film, so um, I feel like it's a film, the more you watch it, the more you get. Yep. And I feel like there's a lot that I was like, eh? Yeah. Um, but he, so we open with him on a road and he says, I've been here before, and then he uses his hands to make a circle and then there's two trees with the row going between. He says it's like a fucked up face. Mm-hmm. And faces and have a nice day, the smiley face, have a nice day. Do you know the only reason I know smiley faces and have a nice day is from Forrest Gump? <laughs> really? <laughs> Just because Forrest wiped his bloody face on a towel. <laughs> <laughs> That. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That seems to be a theme throughout the film. That later in the we have it on his brother's lights and anyway, mm. yeah. I think we end with have a nice day. Anyway. Yeah, like it literally ends with the title card saying yeah. have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um he says I've been here before. Um this is my road. This is the road I'm on. I guess it's referring to him on a journey or something yeah. like that. And then we cut to him in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And in Seattle, he... It is get, a hard cut to him, yeah. getting, him getting blown in a um, hotel room. Yes. And what I would say, the only actual sex scene. Yeah, okay. okay. Without like, stills. I suppose the other scenes are sex scenes, but this one is a a sex scene. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, oh, do you reckon that is possibly because it's not actually... With Keanu? Well, I don't know. Well, not just that, but it, it's it's Mike doing it literally for his 
job. Like, you know, it is that transactional nature. Whereas, like, later... Mm. I, I know that kind of gets a little bit muddied when you have the let one later with Hans, the amazing Udo Kier. <laughs> but he's also doing it with Scott. Scott so yeah. it is an act of love at that point. Yeah. I, I don't know. Look, this like is... When, when sex is transactional, it's not... In those beautiful tableaus, sorry. Yes, I think the fact that Gus Van Sant chose to show the other sex scenes in still shots, then this sex scene just sticks out like a sore thumb. And I'm not sure why. I just don't, I'm not really sure why that's a... I think as well, possibly just to like really throw you headlong into the world and Mm. just be like, this is the world that we are entering. Because like I said, prior to that, we've just got these beautiful like you know, river out on, or Mike, I should say, out on this highway in the middle of nowhere, these beautiful time-lapse mm. shots with, like, the clouds moving across, and then, like, the Hard cut the, the subtle imagery of the, of, the oh. sam, of the salmon <laughs> jumping, and then straight to gobbies. Yeah. <laughs> so salmon jumping upstream. That's, to, that's, that's the sweet. salmon spawning, and it's, like, uh, essentially new life, I guess, yeah. like, going to create a new life for themselves, and that's that's my take, and that's yeah. why we it comes back at the end. Yes. Like, I initially was like, oh, this is, like, a thinly veiled, like, jizz reference, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the, that's the <laughs> barn. <laughs> the barn falling. Okay, so, yes, this is probably my favourite part in the whole film. When um, Mike uh, finishes... <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, a whole barn, like a whole house barn, I don't know what it is, just comes crashing down onto his highway and explodes in a million pieces. Yeah. And I think you and I are just like... <laughs> just like reality crashing the fuck in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my own private Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I suppose we go to the streets of Seattle and uh, Mike is picked up by a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amazing is- Grace Zabriskie, who... Um, most people would know as Sarah Palmer from uh, Twin Peaks, uh, mm. Laura Palmer's mother. Uh, she's in a lot of David Lynch movies. Uh, just a fucking incredible character actress. I was so happy that, to see her in this. And I've got to say, at this point of the film, all I have is questions. And I'm yep. just hounding you with, what's going on? Why is he doing this? What, what is this? What is that? What is this? And I think it's because it's just that, here you go, snapshot. We're, we are in. Yeah. There's no... Well, actually, I was going to say there's no intro, but... I suppose there is that prologue at the beginning with him on the highway. A little bit, yeah. And then by just doing that, like throwing you directly into like the him, you know, in the hotel room and then following up with like the actual meeting, like, you know, of Grace Zabriskie and like going through and like, oh, this is what he, that that wasn't just a one-off thing. This is what he does. He's a, he's a hustler. He's a sex worker. Okay. Yeah. And then we also then introduced to Scott in that same. And I remember thinking like, Almost like American Psycho where the prostitutes are in um, his hotel room or, or not in the hotel room, the whatever. Mm. And they're all just like looking at each other, just like, what the fuck's going what, on? What are we doing here? Yeah. What's happening? But yeah. everyone knows each other. Yeah, it's their, it's their own little world and their little yeah. subculture, which that's why it's so cool. Like, it th- like you were saying, it throws you in the deep end and you have all these questions, but the film slowly is just... Yes. The, the details are there, but it just takes you some time to acclimatise to it, it all. The acclim- it's, that's the perfect way to put it, because I was just, like, full of questions, and I was hounding you, and I'm like, all right, just stop. Just yeah. wait. It'll explain it. Just wait. It's, it's like jumping into a, a swimming pool, and you're like, oh, God, what the... F- it's cold. Oh, my God. Oh, this is actually really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they all knew that all the male prostitutes know each other, and... I'm actually going to backtrack because mm-hmm. we actually open on the dictionary of narcolepsy. Yeah. And I remember the opening scene and then following on scenes, I'm like, 
is this guy on drugs? Is he starving? Is he sleep deprived? Like, why is he twitching and like, you know, weird? I'm like, oh my God, they said it at the beginning. (laughs) But it's also, yeah, he is also sleep deprived and hungry and on drugs. Like, it's all of the above. (laughs) Um, But then, yes, he collapses. And I found this part weird that, um, I'm not going to say Keanu, Scotty gets a cab and goes home and leaves Mike out on the lawn yep. and says, in the morning, wipe the slugs off your face and come find me. <laughs> yeah. I'll be in the city or whatever he says. Yeah, like, I, I get it because it's it, like he, he has that wonderful little monologue where he's like, I grew up on, in, a, in streets like this. I'm from this town. And it, it's that thing of it, it really he, Mike is a lot safer in the just hanging out in someone's yard in nice rich suburbs as opposed to just being dropped somewhere but in the wouldn't, city like wouldn't scotty take him wherever he's going i, I don't know like it's just you, you don't it, know if that, scott's going on to do more work you don't know yeah, kind of yeah. i guess so yeah so anyway um and then i believe we cut to the chinese restaurants which they go to often yes um i'm guessing because the food's affordable that that's my guess as well and like you know it's a welcoming place for them and that's like such a great little scene because I feel I I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I really get the sense that a majority of all those other people in that scene with them are actually street hustlers who inspired the characters of Mike and Scott and things. And yeah. they the store those monologues and oh, those stories they're telling are so brutal, vivid and brutal and heartbreaking, and it's delivered in such a way that you're like, oh, this isn't acting. Yeah. Like this really feels rough. And it kinda of, it's the first time because like we've been giggling and laughing and this it's a it's and it's it's an absurdist film at the beginning. Like him pitching his fits and like narcolepsy and the silliness. But then it's like Van Sant like throws you into the world of like this is actually the world that these guys are in it can be dangerous it can be upsetting it can it's horrible for them at times like because one of the questions i had was when mike's walking away from sarah palmer's house i don't know what her character name is no grace Zabriskie. yeah yeah there's uh hans yes um, who drives up and says would you like a lift I'll, i'll drive you wherever you want and mike says no I can tell this guy's a dirty pervert. I'm not getting in his car. But then after that beginning um, sex scene with that other guy, I'm just like, are you picky and choosy? But but as you said, in the restaurant, the other sex workers talking about their horrific things. Like, yeah. You just, you, yeah, even though that's what he does for work, I guess he's not just doing it with anyone. He's probably doing it in a way that's... He feels safe still as he's, well. He's just safe still. And some of the people he does it with, he knows by name. And yeah, he does it like, frequently like the opening with... scene. The guy's name is Walter and he knows like yeah. him. It, it, clearly, this is a regular thing for them. So it's, yeah. I, I've got to say one of my other fa- favorite parts of the film was right at the beginning. <clears throat> um, the guy who brings him over to clean. Clean his car. Oh, the little Dutch boy! <laughs> little Dutch boy doing his cleaning. And he's dressed as like in a little Daffy Duck outfit almost. Yes. <laughs> and now you clean daddy. <laughs> I've got to ask, and I know you don't have the answer to this, but no. how do people get these fucking fetishes? Oh, man, don't king shame. Like, to each their own. I'm not shaming. I'm not king shaming. I am just curious. But like, Tarantino with his feet. I guess I can get that. It's not mine. I would never touch a foot. Yeah. But but I can get it. But cleaning your house? I don't know, man. It's just great, though, that he found someone that's willing to accommodate it for him. 
that's good good for him <laughs> i love how you don't realize that mike knows this guy yeah until he's just like he's telling him about how he's born on the fourth on the fourth 44 like telling him whatever this shit and then mike's just not interested not interested and you just feel like he's just met this guy and then all of a sudden he turns to the guy and he goes it's disgusting Yes, let's clean. Let's clean. And then you almost need like like Brazil music or something. And this guy is just having the best time. He's rubbing his feet on the clean carpet. (laughs) That's what I mean. Like this movie is fucking funny Funny. shit at times. Like yeah, it's such a weird, wild little movie. But, like, yeah, it gives, like, it's such a nice little insight into Mike as well. It's like that he's just like, cool, man, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're paying me, I'll clean. It, it gives you the sense that Mike is a character. He's just, he really is, like, I mean, lack of a better term, like a journeyman, where he's just like, in it and we'll do this kind of shit just for the experience and be like, I got nowhere else to be, nothing better to do, so why the fuck not dress yeah. as a little Dutch boy and clean this guy's house? <laughs> yeah. If I'm getting paid. Yeah, and it's, to me, uh, Mike and Scotty are the perfect, like, duo for this film. Yeah. Because I just feel like Mike, and especially later when we meet Mike's brother, like, I just feel like it wouldn't matter what you did. You just, you can never get out of your situation. You're kind of stuck there. Yeah. There's not a lot of options for Mike. Which, Which is so interesting that, like, yeah, like you said, having these two characters, and it's like the ultimate duality where you have someone who is in this situation and living this lifestyle not by choice and then you have someone who is flat out doing it by choice yeah like is a multi-millionaire could like he is doing it almost as an act of rebellion against his his father father. and his society and things and he also seems to really dig it and he's getting kicks out of it and he's you know having fun but at the same time it's it's presenting that like that totally different world and I think there's a sense of optimism in Scotty that Mike doesn't have. Yeah. Mike, yeah, like you said, gets a kick out of it and he really enjoys it, but he's not beaten by it. He's not broken down by because it. Because he knows he can leave it at any point. And he knows he will. He says multiple times that he's going to leave this life when the time comes and move yeah. into the wealthy life. Well, that, that's essentially what I think the film's really getting at. It, it's it's the duality, like, uh, among a, a lot of other things that I'm sure we'll get into. But, yeah. like, watching it this time, I'm like, wow, this film really is delving into the duality of American society, I guess, and the represent, like, the how people perceive that and their situation within it. Like, you have Mike, who is someone who is making the best out of the situation he can, going through it as a journeyman, just doing living his life yeah. and then you have the people that are like yeah i'm like that too yeah but i'm not really but i'm not really and it, it's the kind of oblivious nature of the higher society and things to the actual issues and things that people are going through and then that's kind of jumping i know i'm jumping way literally yes. to the very end of the film that it perfectly sums it up in the final shot of the film where mike is passed out on the road from a narcoleptic fit and one truck comes and they steal his bag and his shoes and America the Great starts to play. Yeah. <laughs> and then a second car comes and loads Mike into the car and takes him... To God knows what. Well, I, I'm, I, I view that as it's someone taking him to get him help. Okay. And it, so it's, it's, again, presenting that duality of, like, you know, you've got the good and the bad. You've got the people that are taking advantage of a situation and the people who are in it to do something decent and try and make mm. a better life kind of thing. And I imagine the people who are taking... 
are probably the people who are similar to Mike, stuck in a situation that they can't get out of. Yeah, that's why I I wouldn't pull over and steal someone's shoes. Yeah, yeah. So mm. it's interesting, and I know you're going to laugh at me when no. I say this, but you know, some common people. Yes, <laughs> and it's all about a girl who wants to come and live with common people, but if she calls her dad, she can stop it all. Yeah, just, I don't know. It just made me think of that good yeah. song. Bang oh, up. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. Totally it. Mm. And that's like what's what's kind of interesting. And then we get into the jumping, taking, like, you know, disregard the whole end and my <laughs> insane theory about duality. Going back into the narrative, like, that's where we kind of hit the point in the film that I don't like mm. to some degree. Like, the whole Henry the Fourth of it all. Wow. Do you know? Do you know what? I'm actually really glad you told me that and I know we'll get into this when mm-hmm. we talk about the making and the and the trivia and all that, but there's direct reference to um what the fuck's his name? Oh uh what the, the Shakespeare Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yes, and I'm glad you did because No, that's okay. I'd actually like you to delete that I forgot nah I'll leave it in, it's funny. <laughs> Oh, Bill. Oh, Bill Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, oh, Tricky Billy. Oh, Tricky Bill. Yep. Um, because Slick Willy. <laughs> Sorry. I reckon I would have been like, what the fuck are these guys? Why do they talk that way? Yeah. And, and I, it, it comes out of nowhere as well. It shifts yeah. into that so drastically. And it shifts out as well. And and I've got to say, Bob is a great character. Very charismatic and wonderful. Yep. Love him to death. And I love how much... Of a build-up he has. Yes. We, we talk about Bob before we get to meet Bob. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, this better be good. You know, you talked him up enough. Do you like when someone says to you, I've got this mate, you're going to love them. You're like, I better. Yeah. Because you just talk them up a the, lot. The one that's coming to mind is Death Proof, where it's like 25 minutes of Zoe Bell talk up, and then Zoe Bell arrives, and you're like, really? Oh, oh okay, yes. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he's great. But mm. I've got to say, I love that you told me that there's direct influence to um, Shakespeare and all that because otherwise I would have been like, what the f- Why do these people talk this way? Like, and, and so also, strange. What, what is, is this what the movie is now? Yeah. I, I think that's why I don't. That's the portion of the film that I don't dig that much because it seems like such a drastic turn from where we had been going as a film and then where we end up as a film. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a little detour, really, of just this... It's, it's like a fucking side quest. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's, it's super entertaining. Like, don't get me wrong, and I have a blast watching it. Like you said, Bob is amazing. Fucking Flea is in this movie, <laughs> goddammit. And giving 110% in his performance. Yeah. And it's fun, and it's silly, and it's a... Essentially, a retelling of aspects of Henry the Fourth, with Bob being Falstaff and things. And I've got to say, my Shakespeare is knowledge is mm. quite limited, so I wouldn't have picked it up. Yeah. And um, but the second you told me, and then I started watching those scenes, I'm like, oh yes. Yeah. So it's it's basically Henry the Fifth, like super rough version. It's uh, Prince uh, uh, Henry, who would, the prince who would eventually become Henry the Fifth. Uh, rebellion against his father, decides to leave the kingdom and hang out with thieves and slum people to have his kicks, essentially. So it's essentially Scott. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what... And it's just kind of odd that out of nowhere we're in a Shakespeare film, like a very... an adaptation... a modern adaptation of Shakespeare. 
It's not like he's done an adaptation. It's a section of the film that is adapted. Yeah. A, a portion. Yeah. Do you want me to get into why now? Or? Yeah, go on. So basically, what's interesting about this movie is it's essentially three different scripts that mm. Gus that Vance, uh, that Gus Van Sant had been working on. Like the first one was about direct film about street hustlers and their life and things. And um, I want to get the name of the book that uh, it was. Um, John Ricci's 1963 novel City uh, City of Night. He read that and was just like, "Oh, okay, this is like the ultimate depiction of the life of male street hustle, street hustlers." I never mind, like, and abandoned his script. Okay. And then he was also working on one that was a full adaptation of Henry V, the modernized take. Yeah. And then I, what was the third one? It was something else. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, so he basically got. No, it was mainly it was mainly those kind of two things, and he ended up, and I think some of the other like stuff, the like little stories and things he'd been working on about the life of street hustlers in Portland, and he just kind of mashed them all together mm. in like a William S. Burroughs kind of hack and slash. Like we'll do this scene here and that scene there, and just kind of amalgamate together, and that's kind of what. And he took the name uh, Private Idaho from a B fifty two song that he liked. <laughs> is that a B fifty two song? Is it Private Idaho? Yep. I'm going to listen to that song. I like mm -hmm. the B-52s, but I don't recall that one. You'd know it in... It's in The Wedding Singer, when um, they're, at the ni they're at the nightclub and Glenn is just like, that's a great A piece of ass. And then it's like that weird song. It's like... Doo -doo 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 -doo. like that, that, it's that song. <laughs> I don't, okay. don't tell me why I know... No, no, no. no <laughs> you're speaking my language, yeah. Wedding Singer. I got it. Yeah. Um, it's in that like crucial like push-in moment, like the music swells. That's that You know song. what? You've hit a point that I actually want to ask. What is my own private Idaho? Okay, it's a B fifty two song, but what is it? What does it mean in this context? Um, I, my take is that it's essentially Mike carving out his own little life for him, essentially, because, like we're saying in the back of the like with the synopsis, it's a guy searching for home, mm. and by doing like you know he always ends up finding himself in the pastures of Idaho and those great plains and those empty highways, and so it's essentially like his own world for himself there. So you would say that when he's on that road, that's where he feels at home? Yeah. Well, it's, it's more... I, I don't know if it's he feels at home, but I think it's him feeling like he's accomplishing something. Like, being out there, he feels like he's in search of his home. Yeah. Whereas being on the streets and being a male prostitute hustler, he's... Yeah, that's like why I, I love when he's at Grace Zabriskie's house at the beginning. There's a shot of him opening the curtain and looking at and going and just being amazing, going backyard. Oh, I like know. he's, he's he, he he feels unnatural in the city and and it's kind of yeah. And he always talks about his mum's home and. And that's the image we constantly get of that like yeah. old barn thing with the beautiful green tree and things like in his dreams. I'm gonna jump back to um, the so where we were speaking of before. They're in the city, they've met Bob, there's all that Shakespearean stuff going on and they 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 rob and these guys and you know, all that stuff happens and it's yeah. but but what gets me is all of a sudden they're on a journey. Yep. And I don't know if I zoned out for a second, but at no point I feel like Scotty and Mike decide to go on the nope, journey. Nope, it's just hard cut to them. They've stolen, a, they've stolen a motorbike and they're they've leaving the city. They've stolen a motorbike. Like, you knew it was stolen. I'm like, oh, yeah, 
did I miss something? There's like one throwaway line, a couple of throwaway lines that they'd stolen it, and but it is just they kind of have that fucking with Bob and that like, hey, we actually were the ones that robbed you while you were robbing. Like, haha, jokes on you, isn't this funny? You know, we're we're making a fool out of the king. I kind would of thing. say that scene is purely to promote the Shakespeareanness of it. Yeah. Like at no point does that further the storyline. Yeah, exactly. Um. So I, I get what you're saying about that, and I and I agree. It, it's a it's a tangent, and it's a side. It like is I said, a tangent. It's a side quest that just kind of it's happens. It's a side quest, and it's super entertaining and things. But it it, it is it, entertaining, and I really enjoyed it, but. When we then hard cut to this journey, I'm I'm asking myself, when did we decide this? Why are we doing this? Yeah. Like, it took a long time for me to realize that the reason they're on this journey is to find Mike's mum. Yeah. I, and and that was that was well in. Um. Yes. They start this journey. There's no explanation why we've left this Shakespearean thing. And, and <laughs> I'm going to say my favorite scene a few times this time, but. <laughs> Forgiving all that, then there's this beautiful scene where they can't start the mo- motorcycle and nighttime falls and they build a fire. And around the fire, um, Mike and Scotty are sitting there and Mike professes his love for Scotty. Mm, it, this is the scene This for is me. the scene. And I, I really like how Mike, how River Phoenix does this. It's yeah. so... I'm going to get this out and I'm not going to stop. And yeah. I'm going to be really brave and just say everything, but I'm so scared and uncomfortable while I'm doing it. It's, he says at one point, oh, whatever, never mind. And then he's like, and then Scotty's like, nah. And, but that's the only time he falters. But, yeah. th- but his body language and the way he delivers that whole section it's is so beautiful. It's incredible performance. Yeah. Because it, it's a really, up until that point, it's a very kind of heightened like, it's a great performance he gives throughout the whole film, but up until that point, it's very heightened and over-the-top and kind yeah. of vaudevillian almost. It's very, it's an odd performance. Yeah. But that one scene is just jaw-dropping, and you're like... It makes you realise, like, oh, yeah, he was that good of an actor. And mm. just the, like, like, barely a whisper, just the, like, sometimes I just want to kiss you, man. Yeah. Like, oh! And it's it's a man... It's someone who is so deeply reconciling with his own thoughts and acknowledging that he's professing an unrequited love. Like, he knows he's going to get shot down, but he just has to get it off his chest. It's so beautiful. Yes. And he has to get it off his chest. He's not going to give up. And mm. and, and it's, it's, it's equally brave yeah. and equally vulnerable at the yeah. same time. And, and the fact that Scott embraces him at the end of it as well, like speaks volumes of their friendship as well, which kind of makes the end of the film so sad. But it, it's the fact that it's not a, a a dismissal in the sense of, you no, gross, get away from me. Mm. It's a, I don't want to say pity. That's not the right word no, for it. It's an, under, I, it's an understanding. Yeah. And, he, he loves him in his own way, but... Scotty, deep down, is not a gay man. No. He has gay sex for money, and he acknowledges that in this scene. However, Mike is a gay man, and he loves men. I think, but I also think what's interesting about that scene, it's, it's by him realising that he's in love with Scott, it's, it's him also in that scene realising that he's gay. He's, he's essentially coming out in that scene as yeah. well. It's so powerful and so well done. Yeah, and I, I can see why you're saying with the Shakespearean stuff prior to that, it... Almost, it's great, and it would have been a great film. Yeah, but it it kind of takes away from this 
much better and more interesting and beautiful story that is the Mike and Scotty story. There's no meat on those bones. Yeah. Like, whereas the story of Mike and Scott and their friendship and the, the struggles and essentially Mike trying to... It's the road movie of it all. It's him trying to figure out who he is, mm. where his home is, what what his existence is. That's, to me, the, the meat of this film and why I love it so much. Like, just yeah. that... And it is 100% because of River's performance, I think. Yeah. What a shame. I know, right? Such a bummer. I was looking, this is his third last film. So he made, um, yeah, three more after this, I think. And then, you know. Fuck. Yep. It's crazy, huh? And his death's one of the most famous, like, celebrity deaths ever. Yeah. Um, it almost is bigger than what he was as an actor. Well, because it also happened very flat out in public yeah. like in the on the streets on the street whereas like you know say someone like Heath Ledger died privately, privately in a hotel room like you know yeah. it, it wasn't yeah, yeah. so and, and he was such a big deal of an actor like you know Oscar nominated like you know he was the next Brando essentially like the next James Dean he was you, similar to Heath Ledger like he was yes. that new don't you love when you can be that young and be making films that are great. Yeah. So often actors have to go through so much before they get to that. Yeah. And to be so young and to be making films like My Private Idaho, like, yeah. amazing. He was uh, 20, 21 when he made this. So, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. That's uh, awesome. Reeves was 26. Ah. I thought that was interesting. Like, he does, he looks, they look the same age. But yeah, yeah Reeves... It's a little bit of a baby face, I guess. Gotta be honest, Keanu Reeves is fucking hot. You got a sploo- he got a sploosh out of you. <laughs> I love it. I made Chris laugh so much because, well, I don't even know. Oh, it was a scene where Mike and his brother are having a confrontation. So it's like a really, like, you know, In- scene. insane scene. And <laughs> I just go to Chris, fuck, Keanu Reeves is hot. <laughs> he's just. <laughs> He's just wandering in the background with a coffee mug at Jack Daniels and you're just like, mm, he's a piece. <laughs> what a snack. <laughs> but that brings up a good point. The scene, so they're on this journey, whatever, whatever, whatever. And um, we suddenly, at Mike's brother's uh, trailer, it's so like, I've got to be honest, the, the cuts in this film from here to there and wherever we are, it's very, it, well, very that's, lost. That, that's like the Burroughs, William S. Burroughs of it all, where it's just like, it's a hack and slash kind so of So it's narrative. a conscious choice? Yeah. It's not yeah. bad filmmaking. It's no, no, a conscious he, he's choice. consciously being like, we're going to almost to disorient you and things just kind of just like, no, we're moving ahead now. We're moving ahead. We're, we're jumping here. I suppose like Mike waking up from his narcolepsy yeah. all the time. Why the fuck? I'm, I'm in Rome. No, yeah, yeah, it, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's what it is. It really does work to put you in that position. Um, but yes, so Mike, Scotty takes Mike to Mike's brother's camper van. And within that scene, we find out that Mike's brother is actually Mike's father. I don't. No, if I yes, I don't no, know. Wait, if, what were you gonna say? I, oh. I don't know if I, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I I think him saying "you're my father" is not necessarily like "hey, you're my biological father." It's a you. Mm. I don't give a shit about finding my dad. Mm. I think you because he's saying that because you fucking raised me. No, because I'll tell you why I disagree. Because then he's he goes, "Don't tell me your bullshit stories. I know that you are my dad." And then he whispers, you know too much. And then he, like, smacks things off off the counter and cuts open his hand, his bloody hand. He goes, you know too much. Yeah. I, I reckon that Mike's dad is his, also his brother. But that's just me. I could be wrong. I don't, could, I've been known yeah. to be wrong in the past. 
Yeah, I guess, like, I'm, I'm just reading the Wikipedia breakdown as well. <laughs> like, uh, you know, Wikipedia, the fountain of information that's yes. never wrong. <laughs> no, it is, it's, it is saying that, yeah, Richard is his... Biological. Biological dad, so I guess, yeah. Yeah. I guess I was just like, oh, I don't want incest in this. That's kind of a bummer, but yeah. It is. Like we were saying before, like there's so many, there's genuinely funny moments in this, but it's pretty fucking dark. I guess as well, like having that be the case, it really lends credence to the whole, the discussion about like, I wish I had a normal family. And I love how Scotty's like, what's normal? Define normal. Define normal, yeah. What's a normal dad? What's a normal dog? Like, what are you talking about? Like, no one's family is normal and things. But I guess it's, you know, again, is one of those duality things where it's Mike is looking at Scott's life and and just that, I wish I had that. Like, that's Mm. the unattainable based on where I have come from. And, you know, you essentially have the American ideal and, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose this whole film is about Mike finding out who he is and... And, yeah, I don't know. I, I also love that scene. I thought that was great. Again, um, have a nice day. Smiley faces on the lampshade. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. why not? <laughs> but it's like, all right, I'm going to ask you now because I've got it in my head. Like, yeah. Why? Why? Why do we have that? Why is that an ongoing symbol? I don't know. I guess it is just that whole thing of, like, just fucking... Have a coke, a smile, or shut the fuck up. Like, you know, just this smile, have a nice day. Just keep on trucking. Just keep mm. keep going. Just smile and keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. No, but this is the thing. So there was so much symbolism in this film, and I could see it, and I could pick up on it, but I couldn't really digest it, or yeah. I couldn't really understand it. There's a lot to fucking unpack with this movie. There is a lot to unpack. I feel bad for our listeners because... <laughs> just watch this for the first time that, well, yeah this is this is some of the problems with some of the criterions we do stumble across they are so fucking dense that you've just yeah. got to be like oh that's like yeah why sometimes tom and i used to be like all right we're gonna watch it and then like take a couple of days to yeah sit on this yeah. <laughs> and ruminate before we can but yeah. I, I yeah i do like the whole just not dive into it and try but it. i've got to say we watch it together so unless it's well, like you can a have book a dialogue set. in the yeah yeah and then we're like, don't, don't say anything, yeah, don't say anything. Just, All right, wait, yeah. wait till we're recording. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and then oh, this gets fucking, like, weird at this point. So they continue on their journey. They find Hans, best character ever. And Hans is like, before I sold car parts, I was a performer. Oh, my <laughs> fucking, it's the, the best. And does this, like, weird dance. My favorite part of that scene is Mike and Scotty's face. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Giving him the full on round of applause. But Appar- then, like, he stands up and he's like, turns off the music. He's like, yep. We're okay, done. enough of this, enough of this. Yeah. Let's, let's get to yeah. uh, let's get to business. We're, we're like, what are, you, what are we doing? Yeah. I'm not interested I in your life. Fucking love Udo Kier. Whenever I see him pop up in a movie, it just makes me smile. So he's one of those faces, like, I know I've seen you. Yeah. And then until you said Ace Ventura, I'm like, oh! Yeah. But I know. <laughs> yeah. How many, like, IMDb? I looked credits? up, he has like 289. Um, the last great. Uh, he was in one of my favorite movies from not last year, but the year before, Baccarat, which is up on the Criterion channel at the moment. If you haven't watched Baccarat, please watch that movie. Mm. He's fucking amazing in it. It's what such year a, is it? Uh, 2019. Oh, so it's recent, yeah. Yeah, it, it won the Grand Jury Prize at Cannes in 2019. It's a fucking weird, wonderful, dark little fucking movie. I love it so much. Um, I think I just, like, think of his face, like, so, like, indignant when, like, 
Ace Ventura comes out of the toilet. Yeah. Do not go in there. He's trying to steal his <laughs> ring off of his hand. And yeah, it's great. But I would say, like, he's fucking in everything from Ace Ventura to the original Suspiria, where he's uh, dubbed over in a horrible American <laughs> voice actor because they're like, no one understands German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or accent. Yeah. Um, yes. But then, like, it's... To me, honestly, it's... You know, you have the we the heading off to Rome and all of that stuff. It, it's the continued search for Mike's mother. But, but but before we jump there, they've got a, suddenly got a plane ticket, and um, Hans has their motorcycle. Anyway, I don't know. It's just they, they sold around. they sold the bike to Hans, and then also had the three of them had a they they sold their bodies to Hans. Is as that well. our first? That's the first tableau. Scene. So what does tableau mean? Uh, like st- a still, like okay. a like you know, someone striking a bunch of people striking a pose together. That's a tableau, oh like an God. image, like yeah. And I love it. Like I get the artistic choice, mm-hmm. and I guess that probably makes it more like watchable. Yeah. Than hardcore humping or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But there is something a little orcs. Oh, totally. Bit awkward yeah. about it, and. <laughs> I just imagine the the actors like mid hump pose. All right, it was yeah. I'm just gonna. All right, well, if I jam my elbow in your mouth, then we can, <laughs> yeah, it's. But I love the artistic choice of it, yeah. and yeah, mm. I know. yeah. But then, yeah, it, it to me, it's also at a point with the film where it starts to lose a bit of its momentum when we get to. It's like I, I do like the change of scenery in Rome and stuff, and it, it's that like. It, it just adds to the futility of Mike's quest, I guess, as well. Yeah. And then, you know, meeting um, Carmela at the farmhouse and things, and then it's like the betrayal of Scott, and you know, the well, it's not necessarily a betrayal, but it's a you know, it's 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 something that I found really interesting is that Scotty does not identify as a gay man, no. and so he falls in love with what's Carmela, Carmela. And they have a starstruck romance, but at the expense of poor Mike having to listen or, you know, excuse himself and all that sort of thing. And mm. I don't know. I feel like Mike's professed his love for you. Yes, you're not a gay man, but... You are still his best friend. Cruel. and Yeah. That's quite well, cruel. But that's also the kind of summation of Scott as a character. And, like, again, that whole, like, what he stands for and represents. It's the whole thing of the second... I no longer have a use for you. It's yes. like you, you're expendable, essentially. Yeah. Like which... I was waiting, I was waiting for Scotty to find Mike and be like, I, I, I'm yes, I'm in this new life, but I, I, I need you with me, or, or I'll, mm. I'll give you something, or I don't know. You, you're don't still know. my best friend, or something. Yeah, yeah. But, but for him to totally just. But not just that, but like the way that scene in the restaurant is done, where he turns his back on Bob and all of the others like he, he doesn't even turn to look at them mm. and it, like the reverse shot of Keanu he's bathed in red light as well it's it's he's not subtle like no. yeah and it's it's so there's not much that's even the symbolism isn't subtle in this film yeah um but I do love the funeral scenes oh yeah how good are they well that's and yeah the fact that they're happening simultaneously and the the Scott at his own father's funeral, surrounded by like you know the upper crust, and then it's the the, the street people having Bob's amazing Viking funeral. <laughs> so I told Chris whilst watching this, when I die, can I have that funeral? And I also want you to just scream Bob over and over again, just to confuse my relatives. Just to scream, yeah, just scream Bob. That's all that we need to do. Yeah, <laughs> what but, a wonderful funeral. That's yeah. the kind of funeral we should all have. Pumping on top of. The- 
Yeah, it's so, casket. it's so great as well. It's so chaotic, and the camera's very clear, like, you yes. know, it's handheld and nuts, and then we cut back to Scott's very Still static, and it's static. removed. Like, removed. he's... yes. There's no shot. Like, you know, it's it's far and it's distant. It's, it's it, we as the audience are no longer in Scott's story. He's no longer in our story, whereas we are just intimate with all the... with Mike and um, Flea's... Uh, Bud is Flea's character. Like, all of those people. Like, Scott's no longer part of that world, and he's now having to watch it from afar and just kind of... You, you see remorse and regret on his mm. face, but it's also like, oh, fuck it. These are the choices that I've made. Yeah. So it's it's a sad ending, and it's a sad... Like, going way back to the beginning when I was saying, like, it's it's the evolution of the road movie taking what would normally be a happy ending and those ideal quests and journey. It's like, hey, we achieve something at the end. It's like, no, like, it's just fucking life, everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be honest... It's um, if it did have that cheap Hollywood ending, it wouldn't be the film it is. No, it, it it yeah, ending it on that again, hitting the nail on the head with that duality thing of the cars, two different cars coming, one robbing, one's helping. Like it's and yeah. one of the other symbolisms I picked up on was in that scene, one site. So we've got the crossroad, well, the road in between, and on one side the field is straw, dead grass, and on the other side of the field is beautiful lush green. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the two choices, the two people that rock up, the takers and then the helpers, and yeah. the rich, the poor. I don't know. It, it's just it's it's the it's that's what it is. There's the good and the bad, the yin and the yang of yeah. everything. It's man, this movie's got a lot going on. It does, <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. See, that's why I, I like I opened this episode by saying I kind of think it's his masterpiece because despite having the the Henry the Fourth tangent in the middle, it it's so. Interestingly presented, the the visuals are so striking. There's so much style and craft behind it, and it's so dense with what it's getting across to you. So you wouldn't say that Goodwill Hunting's his masterpiece? No. You'd say that was probably more. It's Baffleck. a more. No, what are they called? Um, uh, Matt Damon and Baffleck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's their like bromance called? Like Benefer Brothers, like, I don't know. The Boston Boys? I don't okay. know. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more um, their masterpiece than Yeah, and, and Robin Williams as well. But totally. It, because you watch that film and there's, like, the few moments of interesting filmmaking in... Like, when they're having the brawl where it's just like, Hey, Carmine, did we used to go to kindergarten? And then it's the fight scene where it's super slow-mo and that... Amazing yeah. POV shot of Casey Affleck, like. <laughs> but I suppose in that scene, he's letting the actors slash writers do their thing. Mm, Whereas but in this film, it's his film. It's, he is controlling he it is, all. He is. I am making a film, and I'm going to make the shit out of it. Yeah. And all my ideas at once. Yeah, and, and better not, or worse, all my ideas at once. Yeah, and not to say that there aren't great little moments, and he hasn't made There's other great. Films. So like, many. Oh, yeah. sorry. Like I was going to say, like Milk is an incredible film with little moments of Gus Van Sant beauty in there yeah. but this to me exemplify if you were to say like what is a Gus Van Sant film this is the one that yes. comes to mind totally yeah interesting though like um I'm jumping around a bit here but the music yeah and and the comical like-esque music to it I was thrown a bit with the music, especially in the opening scene. It has this Coen Brothers-esque style music going on, and I'm like, what am I watching? It's that weird yodely country. Yeah. And then there's a lot of classical in there as well. And and then ending on a Pogue song. Yeah, yeah, super cool. But um, the music in the Shakespearean moments are very Shakespearean. 
like music what I would imagine if yeah, they were watching. Yeah, it's heightened to that theatricality. Yeah, but the opening, I was like, whoa, am I watching a Coen Brothers film? Like, right what, am, what am I in store for? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, I guess, using, he's using that style of music to kind of, the openness of the planes and Idaho mm. and all of that, I guess. But yeah. I guess so. And it gives it a style, so. It does. Um, anyway. But, yeah. I know, like, kind of wrapping up, I guess. Yes. Um, First time you watched the movie, what did you think? What overall take on it? What, what's what, how are you feeling? Oh, look! After all these other films, I'm like, <laughs> I know this sounds really bad, but I'm I enjoy returning to American cinema. Yeah, oh, that's fine. You know, yeah. and and, and um, actors I know and all that sort of thing. So for me, it was a breath of fresh air and a, and a more modern film as well. I mean, that's true. You know, shit, this movie's now thirty years old, but. <laughs> Compared it's, to the other things we've been watching. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, you know, it's a 90s movie. Like, you know, you're... But I really liked Fucking it. Fleas in this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I liked it. And, and for me, it's... For me, Keanu. Like, seriously, like, I, 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 like I said, I, I, I like Keanu. I think he's pretty fucking saucy. But <laughs> <laughs> but I put him in a box. And I, I you know, there's a, uh, a Hollywood box. And I, and I never knew he made a film this... Deep and he's made it. He's made quite a few interesting little films throughout his career. He, he's he's someone I think that gets pigeonholed. I mean, fuck. Even I did it earlier in this episode. Like, is he all that good? He he makes very interesting films in amongst the and you know the John Wicks and the speeds of it all. They're great and they're super fun, but. You know, there are some shit like My Own Private Idaho or fucking Thumbsucker. Like, you know, he, he makes some interesting stuff. He's the kind of person where, norm, not normally, but, like, you have a choice at a certain point as an actor when you become that well-known. Yeah. And are you going to go down the Hollywood road or are you going to, you know, just thinking about River Phoenix, he's, like, what, 21 or 20, yeah. whatever. He's already choosing to make art house films yeah and i don't know it's interesting to see him in this well the, the most intriguing thing is that this is the same year as point break for keanu wow yeah so yeah in fact the, the production was actually had to for this actually had to be pushed back a little bit because um river phoenix was making a movie called dogfight and keanu was finishing up making point break When's Bill and Ted's in his timeline to this? Uh, Bill and Ted was shot in 86, 87 and was released in 89 and, or 88, and then Bogus Journey was the year before this in 1990. So he's well known at this point, would we say? Oh yeah, and this is like post-parenthood, which is 89 as well, like yeah, he's, he's, like, fucking he's top build with Patrick Swayze in Point Break this year. Yeah. Like, he's 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 a movie star now. He's a movie star now. Which is why, you know, it was the, the fact that these two, like, you know, and by this time, River's already been nominated for an Oscar and things. Like, he, that's what, them being involved in the film helped get it made. Like, right. with, without them, like, you know. It wouldn't have. Which is why but, Gus reached out to them and, yeah. But he seems the kind of actor that sort of made choices, now that I am Keanu Reeves, like, what am I going to make? And it's, I don't know, maybe you've, you've seen more of his filmography than I have, but I'm like, mm, yeah. Mm. You've, you've just gone the easy route. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You've, but, you've cashed in. But like you said, knowing that he's done some stuff like this makes it... It's weird, Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I really like this film. Mm. I, I I unfortunately have the uh, ability to just decide, dissect films. Yeah. I, I envy 
my friends who can watch films and just enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I, I have to dissect. This is what I do now. Um, but I actually really like this film. And yeah. there were there were scenes, particularly the the um, the um, Mike professing his love to Scotty. And yeah. I, do you know what I really liked? At no point, you know, I don't know what what year was this? Ninety one. Ninety one. At no point. It's a very like lovely gay story in Mike's. Mike's story is a beautiful gay story and it's not... It's not overt. Yeah, and it's just subtle and beautiful and yeah. romantic in his own little way and it's... it's Scotty doesn't shame him for being gay. No. He's just not a gay man. Not and just, I really love that. Yeah, not just that, but also the film itself doesn't make a big deal out of our character yeah. being gay, which yeah. is very refreshing for this time, especially around in, you know, the early 90s. So. See, a film like this now, of course... Yeah. But I'm just thinking in 91, look... I yeah, that's know. why it's it's kind of surprising that this was... I mean, I get it, but it was controversial when it came out, so... Yeah. Man. Uh, this kind of film coming out now would not be controversial. No. But I just, I just love the subtlety in it and, and the acceptance of it, and yeah, I thought yeah. it was very beautiful. Have you got a tagline for it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but not a good one. All right, yep. My own private eye. It's so bad. My, don't worry, mine is not good this week either. Okay. My own private Idaho, bros before Idaho's. Oh my god. <laughs> Wowza. Terrible. That was amazing. I love that I just like profess my like, you know, how And then you just like... fucking pun it off. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Um, yeah, mine was, I kind of followed your suit from last week, where I, like, I'm just going the kind of nice, simple, um, mine is just, my own private Idaho, home is where the heart is. Oh, see? Something just, yeah. That's nice. That seems like it's a legit tagline. That could be. Yeah. Does it even have a tagline? Uh, probably. The, like, Criterion don't add that shit onto their covers, but yeah. Before we move on to trivia and all that, I have to say, with Criterion, you know how you can get, like, the 4K remaster mm. and the, whatever. We noticed some, like, Proper filming errors in this. Oh, but but that's also just on the actual negatives themselves. Like, so yeah. this is my question: Criterion Collection don't revamp or redo or re whatever. Like, uh, yeah, you, they, you, they do for some films, like a full on like. But I don't think this is a film that needs a like restoration. I guess it was, you know. So you could get a Criterion Collection uh, f- uh, DVD film, whatever. And it would be a restoration of... Yeah, like, I think The River last last episode was a restoration where they actually went and, like, redid the colours and actually cleaned oh, up the okay. image and things. Uh, the Third Man, I recently rewatched and showed Claire for the first time, and that actually has a... Like, it used to be a thing. Some some have the special feature of a restoration demonstration where they show you how they've cleaned it up and things. That's but cool. But, I mean, this is one that kind of doesn't need it, I yeah. guess. Like, you know, it's not a not, damaged not... film. It was just... There was, like, one or two scenes where you're yeah. like, yeah, they didn't check the gate and there's a hair on the yes. frame right now. And also some red... Ones. Yeah, that's just, the, that's just the end of the film stock. Like, they were running out of the mag oh. and it's starting to flicker, yeah. So anyway, I yeah. was wondering, but uh, I think it's about that time. Speaking of Claire, we hear what her thoughts on the film were. Mm, I'm excited. It's now time for another episode of Claire's. I forgot what it's called. What's this movie about? <laughs> What's this movie about? 
All right. So, as usual, we've got title, director, country, and year. Okay. So, this film is called My Own Private Idaho. It is... English again. It is from 1991, directed by Gus Van Sant, and it's an American film. Okay. I already have a little bit more information in my mind. Do you know who stars in this film? I know that it has River Phoenix. Oh, okay. So you've got a bit of an advantage here. Yes. What is My Own Private Idaho about? Okay, so River Phoenix is living living in the big city with a with a foster family and he decides that he can't like stand the tumultuous life that they're living there in the big city so even though he's only mm, I'm gonna say 16 even though he's only 16 (laughs) he um he runs away to Idaho and he builds like a tree house in I don't know what do they have in Idaho? Potatoes. Oh no. <laughs> I was like forest? Do they have forest there? Oh fuck. Um not a tree house, scrap that. So he makes a little um like a clubhouse mm-hmm. cubby situation and that's like his little safe space. And he hides out there. And then he it's meets... A, it's his own private Idaho. Yeah, it's his own private Idaho, exactly. Yeah. And then <laughs> that's what that's Yeah, where yeah, title comes I get from. you, I get you. And then he meets up with, like, other friends and other vagrants that have run away from society. Hmm. Yep. So it's kind of like a proto-into the wild a little bit almost. Like a teenage oh, into the yeah. wild, I get, I guess. Okay. Yep. See it's what like you're going. All right. She, she got some stuff kind of close. I love that. I love that. It just makes me happy. I think she, like, yeah, she just always thinks of River Phoenix as, like, stand by me, River Phoenix, not, like... I'm about to die. Oh, sorry. I'm 20, I'm 20 years old. Like, I'm 21 years old. I can drink, mother. I can vote and drink. Do you know what? Um, my own private Idaho, like, <laughs> the clubhouse I go to to get away he from my troubles. clubhouse in the, in the, the other vagrants come join yeah. in there. That's not a bad idea for me, yeah. That's wonderful. I love that. Thank you, Claire. Yeah. Uh, So on that note, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about my own private Idaho? Sure. Uh, The film was nominated for six Independent Spirit Awards, including Best Film, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and it won three. Uh, Best Music, Best Screenplay, and Best Actor for River Phoenix. Can I jump in? Mm -hmm. Any Oscar nominations? No. No Oscar nominations. Nope. nope. Uh, Independent Spirit Awards are like the indie film Oscars, so, you know. I know, but the rest of the of world co- don't yeah. know that. Of course there's got no Oscars in 1991. Like, this was the fucking year Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? <laughs> Not a chance. Uh, <laughs> the National Society of Film Critics uh, awarded Phoenix Best Actor. Uh, Gus Van Sant won the International Critics Award at the 1991 Toronto International Film Festival, and the film was nominated for the Golden Lion at the 91 Venice Film Festival, where Phoenix won the Volpe Cup for Best Actor in a unanimous vote from the jury. Yeah. He deserves it. He was fucking amazing in this. He's really great in this movie. Um, I love this, a little bit of alternate casting. Gus Van Sant offered the role of Bob to Dennis Hopper. Oh, yeah. 
but Hopper refused, saying that he would rather play one of the leads. Oh, <laughs> Gus yeah. Van Sant still can't, says to this day, he still doesn't know if Hopper was joking or not. Like, you, I feel like at that point he's like 20 years too old or something, right? Oh, this is like, yeah, he's like fucking 60. <laughs> like, yeah. So that's why Gus Van Sant's like, I think he was joking. Um, hmm. Where are we at? That would have been great, but I also really like the guy who did play Bob. I think yeah. Bob was perfect and yeah, it wouldn't have changed a thing. Exactly. But I can see him in it. Hopper would have been very interesting and would have been great in the role, but I think as well... Surrounding it with essentially unknowns as well. Like, Flea essentially is also pretty unknown at this point. Like, mm. So, like, having it just be Keanu and River, like, helped... Do you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of Blue Velvet. And I'm just yeah. thinking the Bob in this film was very gentle. Yeah. And I just... <laughs> yeah, you don't see I don't Dennis want him playing to be gentle. Yeah. No. Well, interestingly enough, on the note of Blue Velvet... Uh, the song which Udo Kier sings as part of his ca- was actually part of his real life cabaret act. What? Yeah. Uh, usually he would sing along with a tape while using a flashlight as a microphone. Oh my god! Uh, Gus no. Van Sant changed it to avoid comparisons with Dean Stockwell's scene in Blue Velvet. Hang on. When he's singing Candy Colored Clown with the <gasps> torch. Yeah. So. I'm sad that's a real thing. I'm just like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Uh, now this is the best bit of trivia. River Phoenix wrote the campfire scene. Hmm. Wow. Uh, he wrote it in private on little scraps of paper. Uh, Gus Van Sant was under the impression that uh, when he saw River kind of scribbling away that he was working on song lyrics or something. And he was surprised when River told him that he'd rewritten the entire scene. Uh, Van Sant liked what he had uh, <laughs> liked what River had presented to him, but didn't know if Keanu would be up for it. Uh, River assured him that he'd already privately talked to Keanu about it, and he was totally on board with everything. Uh, Gus Van Sant said that he he had given complete faith to River since uh, and just let him and since he'd been left out of the loop with the right with him rewriting that scene. So he's just like, "You go, I'll just say action." You you you, you direct you run this scene. Actually, got me a little emotional when you said that. Yeah. I, I oh, that scene is so good. Yeah. I, and I, I can tell. Yeah. I can tell. He's that pouring scene his heart into so it. So good. Yeah. Oh. Um, and on that note, time for the trivialist of trivia to end it on a happy note. <laughs> Please tell me it's something to do with The Simpsons. River Phoenix was a big fan of The Simpsons. <laughs> And suggested its inclusion. Uh, Simpsons creator Matt Groening is from Portland, and uh, Gus Van Sant. And in fact, Gus Van Sant was living in what used to be his best friend's house at the time. So Gus Van Sant was so living it- in Matt Groening's old best friend's house, like best friend's old house. Uh, and so Matt let them use the footage from The Simpsons for free. Yay! Nice. Just because he's just like, fuck yeah, Portland. You know, your hometown guy. Same with me. Like, here you go. Just have it. Nice. Yeah, that's some nice little fun trivia at the end. Uh, So we'll quickly go on to the Criterion Edition. It's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray or a two-disc DVD. Uh, It comes with an illustrated 2005 audio conversation between Van Sant and filmmaker Todd Haynes. I'm a big Todd Haynes fan, so that's pretty cool. Uh, The Making of My Own Private Idaho, a 2005 documentary featuring cast and crew. King of the Road, a 2005 interview with film scholar Paul Arthur on Van Sant's adaptation of... Shakespeare's Henry IV and Orson Welles' Chimes at Midnight. Conversation from 2005 between producer Laurie Parker and actor River Phoenix's sister Rain. 
audio conversation from 2005 between writer JT Leroy and filmmaker Jonathan Collier. Deleted scenes, trailer, and a thick fucking booklet. Yeah, that booklet thick. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag thick. <laughs> uh, but that is, so it's a fucking loaded edition. Yeah. Full of great stuff. If you've never seen My Own Private Idaho, check it out. It, it's a weird, wonderful little film I that's worth like watching. everyone, you know how everyone should watch Philadelphia? Everyone should watch My Own yeah. Private Idaho. Did you say Philadelphia just because I, I mentioned that I watched that the other day? But it's also <laughs> a film, like, yes, mm. definitely, but also it's a film that everyone should see. Yeah. It was so funny. It was like watching, just had that on and Claire was in the other room and she's like, I'd mentioned that I, like the next day I was watching, she's like, yeah, I was wondering what you were watching when just all of a sudden I heard Denzel Washington screaming about hating gay people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That courtroom scene where he, like, explodes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. But, yeah, I guess <laughs> that'll wrap us on that Philadelphia gay note. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad this is part of the Criterion Collection. You know what? Fuck the oh. more this sits with me and the more I think about it, the more we talk about it, the more I think it's a very beautiful, beautiful film. Important piece of American cinema as and well, I especially really, in, the, like, in the indie films of in the 90s. And I really hope it's not the overrated one. <laughs> No. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. Yeah, Captain yeah. Internationalist, let us know what, what mm. if we were right or I liked if... It. I don't know, yeah. Otherwise, it could be next week's film, which is uh, Le Clisse by Antonioni. <sighs> back From, we uh, go. Yep, back <laughs> into the breach again <laughs> one more time, dear friends. Yep. Uh, but thank you for listening, everybody. Um... Again, uh, you know, I don't say this often, but uh, if you can rate and review us on iTunes and things, uh, it does actually help. And um, otherwise... Uh... Uh, but before you say that, we do have our vote for our um, tagline over on our Insta. So, yes. And we would love to hear what you... <laughs> I feel like mine could win this Oh, I think you for definitely... For the first time ever. Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so I'll, I'll link to the Instagram as well as our Patreon uh, in the episode notes and things. So, uh, yeah, please head over there. We're about to get cracking on our next uh, set of audio commentaries as well as uh, Great Scott is continuing to roll yes, on over there. So great Scott. <laughs> if you want to hear us uh, ramble about Ridley and Tony Scott films, <laughs> <laughs> check that out. Um, but otherwise, thanks for listening, everybody. You can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at CriterionQuest. Otherwise, I'll put all the stuff in the episode notes as usual. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. For this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. When I first came to London, I was only 16. With a fiver in my pocket and my old dancing bag.